people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's look together at John chapter 14. John 14. John is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. If you wanna follow along on uh, one of the blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 901. Page 901, John chapter 14. John 14, I'm gonna read verses 12 through 14 for us. So John 14, starting in verse 12. Here's what the word of the Lord says to us through the book of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You ever walked up to a store and maybe when you're driving by the store, giant sign on the front of it that says, everything 50% off. You've seen these kind of signs before? Y'all seen these? 70% off, everything. But then you park and you walk up to the store and you see there's, there's small letters that says up to. off or up to 75% off. And most of the stuff at the store is 10% off or more expensive than it was before the sale started or something like that. That that letdown that you experience in that, I think can also be our experience with the verses I just read. That you hear Jesus say things like, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything, Anything in my name, I will do it. If it's your first time hearing a verse like that, it's gonna look to you like everything in the store, 75% off, and then you're gonna get around some Christians that are gonna say, well, actually, it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean this, and all these disclaimers. So by the time you get to the end of the conversation, what was this giant promise looks like this puny little pathetic promise. But this is one giant promise about prayer. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, all of us, our initial reactions are probably gonna be to view a promise like that from one of two extremes, either as a scam or as a spell. For some of us, you view it as as a spell, that if I ask God for something in just the right way, I'm guaranteed to get it. For those of you that are in school right now, maybe you have a test this week and you think, you know what? I haven't studied a lick for that test. But if I pray just the right way, and this is what I did in geography class my freshman year, and I'll just, from experience, it didn't work. It didn't work. But we had a test on all the countries of Africa. I spent approximately negative three minutes studying for for that test. But when the test came, Lord, please, I trust you. And I pray that you would help me to just all of a sudden know all the countries of Africa and right where they are. I didn't. I knew where South Africa was at the bottom. And so that was as good as I did on the test. 
But that, so you might hear this, you might hear this as a spell. Others of you would hear this as a scam. Sounds a little too good to be true. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There has to be a catch somewhere. So I'm just gonna ignore it, not think a whole lot about it. Well, around six or so times in Jesus's final message to his disciples, he promises them, around six or seven times, he promises them that if they, whatever they ask in his name, he, they will receive. He will give it to them. So we wanna understand Jesus's words about prayer here in a way that leads us to pray and encourages us to pray. These words are not meant to make us be like, yeah, I don't think prayer is the real deal. Jesus is saying this to make us want to pray. That's his intention, and to trust him. So we've spent the first five weeks of this study on prayer in the Old Testament, and now we are finally stepping into the New Testament to see this whole line in Scripture of what the Bible teaches us about prayer. And we've seen that over and over and over, prayer is crying out to God to fulfill his promises, asking God to come through on his promises. And as we get to the New Testament, a lot of those promises that God has made to his people in the Old Testament have all come true full circle through Jesus. So how should that change how we pray? Well, I think the same truth will still be there, but the point of John 14, and I think the point of what Jesus is saying to us here is this, that knowing Jesus is the foundation and the purpose of prayer. Knowing Jesus is the foundation and the purpose of prayer. It's the starting point and the goal. Knowing Jesus is the foundation and the purpose of prayer. So very simply this morning, I would just like to take John 14, verse 14, separate it into three different phrases and just walk through each phrase one at a time to help us really understand what the Lord is saying here with some help from some other places in the Bible. So John 14, 14 says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we'll look at, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, to try to understand this together. Let's look at the first one. If you ask me anything, it's gonna help us to see this verse in light of everything that's going on around it because otherwise we will misunderstand it. We won't get what it's talking about. But in this part of John 14, John is, Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples that he's going to leave and he's not gonna be with them forever. And he's telling them that there's gonna come a time where he's gonna return to heaven and he's gonna send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And this prompts, as you can imagine, if you've spent three years with a guy and you've seen him do incredible things and you're just envisioning your future together and he comes and says, I'm leaving in a little bit, but I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. You can imagine the kinds of questions and responses that come from the disciples. One of those is brought up by a guy named Philip. And in Philip's response, you can almost see the Old Testament collide with the New Testament. In, his, in just in the request that he makes and what he says, you can see the two things collide in real time almost. I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about in chapter 14, verse eight. Here's what Philip says to Jesus. Let's, let's start back in verse seven so you can see what Philip's responding to. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. 
Philip as, as a Jewish man. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the stories about prayer that we've seen throughout this, this study so far. And when he hears Jesus mention God the Father, that prompts some thoughts and memories and connections in Philip's brain. And he thinks of the Lord as he's revealed in the Old Testament, everything before what we see in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so he says, show us the Father, Jesus. We've heard stories our whole lives about him. Show us who he is. And Jesus gently corrects him, and he says, when you see me, you see the Father. This is not a small statement. This is the kind of statement that actually gets Jesus crucified by the religious leaders of his day. But in this moment, we're watching the disciples try to fit together what they know about the Lord from the Old Testament and what Jesus is saying. And it it doesn't seem to fit always in their perspective. But Jesus goes on to explain that the Father, the God who created all things, the God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Elijah and Ruth and Esther and Moses, that God is doing his work through Jesus's work. When Jesus does things, that's God the Father doing things. When Jesus says things, that's God the Father speaking. And so he's saying, all the plans and promises of God are coming, through, coming true through me. And then in light of this, Jesus makes this promise about prayer that we just read earlier. Let's look at it again, the whole flow of it. Verse 12, he tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Then the promises about prayer come in verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is saying, because of what I have done, because of who I am, because of what I'm about to do, prayer's different now. Prayer was good in the Old Testament, but prayer's even better now. It's a whole nother deal now. Because of what he's about to do by dying on the cross to pay for our sins, by coming back from the dead to defeat sin and evil and death, and to return to heaven to prepare for his second coming to earth, prayer matters Prayer makes a difference. Prayer to the Lord is a real thing. So we wanna see that promise. If you ask anything in my name, that I will do it. See that little promise, big promise in a little package in a huge context of what's going on around it and all of what Jesus is saying because it means that this promise is not some transactional thing. It's not the spell like I mentioned earlier. It's not, well, if I just say at the end of my prayer, In Jesus' name, whatever comes before that is gonna come true. It's not meant to be this transactional. It's not, well, I put in my prayer, I go up to the vending machine, I select my option, and when I put in the money, it comes out. This context, this picture around it shows that this promise is deeply relational. Is deeply relational. The promise is only true in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. The context is only, this promise is only true in the context of a real relationship with God the Father through Jesus. If, when he says, if you ask anything, these are not the words of a genie coming out of a magic lamp. 
These are the words of the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving Savior of the world. So we want to hear them that way. Because when we separate these words from actually knowing Jesus, we lose prayer altogether. And when we change these words that you find in the Bible, when we separate from Jesus, you change them from something in the Bible to something you find inside a fortune cookie. That's not what it's meant to be. It's not how it's meant to sound. This is why, if you'll just look there with me. You might not even have to turn a page in your Bible. But look with me at what Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 7. You see the same kind of emphasis, but with a little bit different angle. Chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We want to hear the part, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, but, but don't miss the first part. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Trusting Jesus and showing that trust by keeping his word active in your mind and in your heart. That's what it means to pray in line with what his word says and that's what he's talking about there. Knowing Jesus, relating to him, walking with him. He says, if you continue to live in me, if you continue to trust me and my words and my truth continues to live in you, ask whatever you want and I'll do it. The main focus here is not meant to be on asking, but on abiding. And how when we abide in Jesus, how that shapes what and how we ask. A relationship with Jesus should shape the things that we ask of him. So knowing Jesus is the foundation and the purpose of prayer. So let's start with that first phrase, if you ask anything, but let's add the next part now. If you ask anything in my name, in my name, I will do it. What does that mean? If you ask anything in my name. Is that meant to be like a stamp on a letter? That if you don't say, in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, it will not make it to God's ear in heaven. Sometimes what it feels like, been in church for a long time, like someone ends a prayer by not saying in Jesus' name and you're saying, did they, did they actually pray? What happened right there? Go a little abrupt. Is it just saying that word or phrase gets God's attention? Well, I think this phrase is the New Testament version of the phrase we saw in the Old Testament. When we, when we first started this study about prayer, where did prayer even start? Where did it come from? How did this come about? We saw this phrase in Genesis chapter four, very beginning of the Bible, where it said, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I think this is the New Testament version, <clears throat> excuse me, of calling upon the name of the Lord, praying in Jesus' name. Meaning, praying in a way that matches the character and mission of Jesus. Praying in a way that matches the character and mission of Jesus. Calling upon the name of the Lord in the Old Testament was praying in a way that matches the character and promises of God. This is not different. Praying in a way that matches the character and mission of Jesus. So in context, context here, <clears throat> he is laying out for the disciples who he is and why he came. He just made the famous phrase that maybe you've heard before where Jesus says, 
<clears throat> I'm so sorry. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So he tells them, I've come to rescue the lost. I've come to enlighten the people that are, that are deceived and believe lies. I've come to give life to the dead. And this is the good news that is to spread through his followers. And I actually think, if you look with me in verse 13, sorry, the second part of verse 12, where he says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. How can we do greater works than the work of Jesus? I think, he's saying, I think that's what he's talking about. We, we live and, and get to serve on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. So the work we do to spread the gospel is even greater work than work that's been done in previous generations and eras of God's people. But he says, I want you to pray in my name. And if you ask me anything in my name, anything that lines up with who I am and why I came, I'll do it. Kids, I want you to help me think about this. And adults, you can think about it too. If, if this, this might be above you, I don't know, I'm not sure. But kids, let's say that you left church today and you decided to put together a little note from your parents or grandparents or just some, some adult maybe that, that you're with a lot. And you, you wrote the note yourself and you're gonna take this note to Walmart. And the note says, please give, put your name in there, all the candy and toys in the store and I'll come back and pay for them later. And then you write the adult's name, your mom's name, your dad's name, grandma's name, your grandpa's name. You write your, the adult's name at the bottom of the paper. Now, did kids, did, did your parents or grandparents or whatever adult, did they write that note? No. You wrote the note and you put the name on there. Now, let's say you take that note to Walmart and you give it to the manager at the store and you say, here's a note from my mom. She wants me to have all the candy and toys in the store and she's gonna come back and pay for it later. Do you think that's gonna work? You're like, I hadn't thought about this idea, but I might actually try this later today. Do you think that's gonna work, kids? No. Why would it not work? It has your parents' name on it, but they know that's not what your parents would want you to have, right? It doesn't match the parents, your parents' character. It doesn't match your parents' goals, your parents' purposes in your life. And this is, this is what's going on here. Jesus is saying, when you are asking something in my name, you're asking something that lines up with who I am and why I came, with why I came into this world. In the Old Testament, it was asking God to send the Messiah and to establish his kingdom. But then in the New Testament, the Messiah's already come, so it's asking God to grow his church until he comes back, make his people holy and righteous. But both are calling God to do what he's promised to do. One author confronted us this way with this kind of statement. He says, if we are going to sign Jesus's name to a prayer to the Father, we had better be sure it's the kind of prayer Jesus himself would sign his name to in the first place. Just like if you try to take a note from your parents to Walmart and get all the candy and toys in the store, it wouldn't work because your parents wouldn't sign their name on that note to begin with. Sometimes I think we pray prayers and ask the Lord for things that I don't know if Jesus would sign his name to. I'm saying this about myself too. Think about that word even, in my name. That word name is so important through the whole Bible. 
There's even popular places that, that you'll know of. Like in the, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, one of the key phrases he teaches us to pray is hallowed be your name. But think about that in comparison with one of the 10 commandments he gives us in the Old Testament to not take the name of the Lord in vain. So do our prayers and do we pray in a way that honors the name of the Lord or do we pray in a way that takes the name of the Lord in vain? Do our hearts, do our prayers, do our lives line up with the first one or, or, the, sec- or the second one? Is our heart's desire, Lord, honor yourself no matter what, or is our heart's desire, Lord, we just wanna use your name to get what we want? Do we try to forge Jesus's signature onto our prayers? Do we ask God for things that line up with our purposes more than his purposes? and then expect him to answer just because we trust Jesus? Or do we ask God to carry out his promises for his glory in his plans for our lives that he's given us? The reason this point is so important is because it teaches us the right priorities in how we pray. We all want things, all of us. It'd be crazy to say we don't, but we all, all of us want things like good health, financial stability, success in work or school or sports. We all want safety and comfort. And it's not wrong to want those things. I'm not saying we should never pray about those kinds of things. But praying in Jesus' name means those kinds of wants are secondary to Christ-like wants. That wanting the gospel to spread, wanting the Lord to be honored, wanting his will to be done, wanting unity among God's people, wanting to be made holy are greater wants for us than other wants in this world, other desires. Knowing Jesus is the foundation and purpose of prayer. <clears throat> and this, this phrase, it reminds me a little bit of one, one of the ways David prays in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verse four, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that sounds pretty incredible, right? Like, I, I wanna hold on to that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But here's what's so powerful, I think, about that whole verse, is delighting yourself in the Lord transforms the desires of your heart. That you don't just want all the things you would normally want. When my greatest delight and joy is Jesus, it has a ripple effect on everything I want and what I don't want, because it means I want what most honors him. As we come to the end of this part, it's just my prayer, Lord, do this in our hearts. Do this in my heart. Help me to want your honor and your name and your kingdom and holiness in us more than I want anything else. Help help me to want unity among your people more than I want my own comfort. Help me to want your gospel to spread more than I want my own ease. Help me to want your name to be glorified more than I want my own name to be lifted up. Do this in our hearts. We need God's help to pray this way. We need God's help to pray in line with Jesus' name, in line with who he is and why he came, with his character and his mission. And this truth, the guarantee of this verse flows right into the last phrase. If you ask anything in my name, 
Last phrase, I will do it. I will do it. This is a sure promise from the lips of the God who has never broken a promise, and he never will. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we are asking the Lord for things that match who Jesus is and why he came, our prayers guaranteed will be answered. Not only, not only here do we see this kind of assurance, but let me read for you another part. Remember I told you Jesus talks this way multiple times in the last, in the last words to his disciples. This is in John chapter 16. I'll read this for you. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Sounds really similar to what we saw in John 14. Then in verse 24, he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is telling us in John 14 and John 15 and John 16, and then even models it for us in a lot of ways in John 17. He's telling us that when we pray this way, it cannot fail because Jesus cannot fail. When we pray this way, it cannot fail because the gospel cannot fail. Every prayer we pray that aligns with what God has said in the Bible, and remember, that's, how, that's what we talked last week, praying with our Bibles open. Every prayer we pray that aligns with what God has said in the Bible will be answered and there's nothing or no one that can stop it. Not because we as prayers are amazing people, but because the God we're praying to, no one can stop his purposes. No one can stop his plans. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But what about when he doesn't do it? What about the prayers that I've prayed over and over and over and the prayers that you've prayed over and over and over that sure seem like they match who Jesus is and what he would wanna do in this world, but our experience looks like God doesn't hear them or he doesn't respond or he says no. What about that? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, but what about when it looks like he doesn't do it? I think that's why when we hear Jesus say, I will do it, we don't need to hear him say, I will do it in the exact way you expect me to do it. It's not what he says. And this is why the definition of prayer we've carried with us through this series is so crucial and so important. Asking the Lord to come through on his promises. We must remember what God has promised us and what he hasn't promised us. Did you hear me say that? We have to remember what God has promised us and what he has not promised us. He has not promised us perfect health. He has not promised us the right job. He has not promised us conflict-free relationships. He has not promised us great wealth. He has not promised us a perfect church to be a part of. He has promised us that he will always be with us 
He has promised us that he will work all things together for our eternal good. He has promised us that he will finish the good work he began in us on the day Jesus returns. He has promised us that our sins will be fully and forever forgiven. He has promised us that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. So I will do it means I will do what I've promised. I will do what I've told you I'm going to do. So we trust God's promises and we see from our perspective what look like unanswered prayers as an invitation to trust that God's promises are always better than our plans, no matter what it looks like or feels like to us. I don't say that to belittle or lighten the pain and struggles we have in this life, but hopefully to rub hope into the pain and struggles we have in this life. It's just like what we've heard in Psalm 31 that's been the the key passage for us this morning. In Psalm 31, he says in verse 14 and 15, but I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. And listen to this phrase. I love this phrase. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. My times are in your hand. I was reading a letter recently that John Newton wrote. I've talked to y'all a lot about John Newton. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, what he's most well known for, but did a lot of good for a lot of people and that was primarily through letters he wrote to people to encourage them and help them. They would write and ask him questions and he would respond and try to bring the truth of God's word in connection with their lives in a way that's really down to earth and easy to read and that's why I love it. But he was actually writing to a friend in this particular letter that I was reading who was struggling to find a wife and he so bad wanted to be married and he felt like it just was always going in different directions and every direction it went was a dead end. And he was just convinced that it wasn't gonna work out. And John Newton writes to him this way. He says this, a believer, like a, a Christian, someone who trusts in the Lord, a believer, like a sailor, is not to be surprised in the wind changes, but to learn the art of suiting himself to all the winds for the time. And though many a poor sailor is shipwrecked, shipwrecked the poor believer shall gain his port, that meaning the poor believer will get to his final destination. Oh, it is good sailing with an infallible pilot at the helm who has the wind and the weather at his command. Surely when he crosses our wishes, it is always in mercy. And because we short-sighted creatures often know not what we ask nor what would be the consequences if our desires were granted. He says there are gonna be a lot of times in our lives as Christians where it looks like the wind changes. And he knew a lot about that. He was a captain of a ship, a very experienced sailor himself, and he knew a lot about that experience. And he says, there's gonna be times where it looks like the winds change, and they do, but we need to get used to the winds changing because we have an infallible pilot that's driving the ship. And he has the winds and weather in his hands. Newton goes on to tell this friend, one of the conclusions he comes to is he says, I advise you to take a lodging as near as you can to Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the garden where Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. He tells his friend, I want you to find a place to live as close as you can to that scene, to that picture. And he says, and I want you to walk daily to Mount Golgotha. Mount Golgotha is where Jesus died on the cross. He says, live as near as you can to the garden, to that scene in the garden where Jesus is praying to the Lord and take walks every day to the scene of Jesus dying on the cross. 
Because, why would he tell them that? Well, it's because as we look at Jesus in the garden and as we look at Jesus on the cross, it reminds us that God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we think he's going to answer them. The same Savior that said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That same Savior prayed in the garden before he went to the cross, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But he didn't. He did not take the cup from him. The cup was representative of of God's wrath about to be poured out on Jesus because of my sin and your sin. And Jesus prays, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. And in the garden, God did not answer the prayer of Jesus to have his cup of suffering removed, but he did answer Jesus' prayer for his will to be done. And don't you know that in the moment God did not answer that part of Jesus' prayer, he was answering the prayer of his saints that they prayed for generations and generations and generations in the Old Testament that the Savior would be sent into the world. James Montgomery Boyce uh, was a, a pastor in our country a few, a few decades ago, and, and there was a time where he was having to have the, the tough job of announcing to his congregation that he'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And so he announces this to his church, and he's just guiding them and speaking truth to them. And he tells them different ways to pray, and he tells them, you can pray for God to heal me. That would be fine. But then he says this, if you think of God glorifying himself in history, and you ask yourself, where in all of history has God glorified himself the most? The answer is that he did it at the cross of Jesus, and it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross. It was by keeping Jesus on the cross. It was the display of God's greatest love and God's greatest glory and God's greatest mercy. And because of that event, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, we now have full access to our almighty Father in heaven. And he is willing to hear and to answer our prayers for his glory. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We trust him when we go and ask him. We trust him to know that whatever is lined up with his will is best. And we trust that whenever he says, I will do it, whatever he does is what is right. And we pray trusting those truths. Knowing Jesus is the foundation and purpose of prayer. Our heavenly father will hear and answer every prayer we offer that lines up with the character and mission of Jesus. So our question for us to think about is, are we praying and living for what Jesus gave his life to accomplish? Are we praying for what Jesus gave his life to accomplish?